Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So I have some interesting news to report. According to the Zarnikow Group, a research and finance firm in the sugar industry, sugar consumption is now down year upon year for the first time in 40 years. The last time sugar consumption went down year upon year was in 1980. 40 years sugar consumption has been going up annually. But it's down, and it's down probably because of COVID. People aren't eating out as much, and they're not going to movie theaters and sporting events. And, you know, when people sit at home and watch a movie uh, on Netflix or whatever, they might not, you know, drink the same liter of soda that they maybe would have purchased uh, and consumed at a movie theater. And so COVID has impacted our eating. And COVID has also impacted our thinking. In that, um, we are thinking in a different way now about the impact of our behavior on other people's health. And we have societally taken massive action to protect people's health, like canceling whole professional sports seasons and concerts and travel and um, shifted our norms for expected behavior in terms of social interaction. And why have we done this? We've done this because um, COVID is deadly and it's contagious. It's deadly and it's contagious. And suddenly there is this awareness of the impact of our behavior on our own, but also on other people's health. And I want to say that I really hope, I want to put a stake in the ground for that way of thinking to translate into a greater sense of shared responsibility for our collective eating patterns. Because our eating patterns are deadly and contagious. And people are dying too young and in pain from their diet and lifestyle, from the food that they are putting in their mouth, that we are putting in our mouth. Um, yeah, deadly and contagious. So deadly, according to the National Safety Council in the United States, about 2.83 million people in, in the United States die each year. And if you look at what they're dying from, eight of the top 10 causes of death are linked to diet and lifestyle in the scientific literature um, to the tune of 2.6 million deaths a year in the United States with a fair bit of wiggle room either to be prevented um, altogether or um, mitigated to some degree through different eating patterns and lifestyle changes. And um, yeah, so deadly. <laughs> the way we are eating is deadly. And it's also contagious. So an article, a seminal article in 2007 in the New England Journal of Medicine showed that obesity spreads through social networks. Obesity spreads through social networks. It's contagious, essentially. And the proposed mechanism for this contagion is the spread of shared norms, like normalizing certain behavior, like going out to eat all the time or just being more overweight or, um, yeah, eating 
processed food all the time or just the norm of, for example, stopping at a uh, snack bar before going into a movie theater. All these types of behaviors are normalized in social networks. And, um, you know, society has a way of eating that has been shifting gradually over the last several decades and obesity has been skyrocketing. So, you know, I think there is a strong parallel between our approach to COVID and what would be an ideal approach to food consumption in the sense of like um, some degree of awareness of how our, how our behavior impacts our social network when it comes to health, when it comes to um, normalizing and uh, celebrating and modeling healthy eating habits. Um, I know that death from, say, the the top causes of the top cause of death in the United States is heart disease, by far the leading cause of death, and heart disease has been proven in the scientific literature to be preventable and reversible through diet. So full stop, it's dietary related. And, you know, we don't tend to think about like, oh, you know, I could help my loved one, my uncle, my coworkers or whatever, not die too young and in pain by changing my behavior. But it really is true. And I think the difference between heart disease and COVID is analogous to that old story about the frog. Have you heard the story about the frog? The frog, um, the frog gets thrown into a pot of boiling water and jumps out right away because it's freaking boiling water. Like the frog doesn't want to die. But if you put the frog in cool water, cold water, and then turn the heat on under the pot, the frog, supposedly, I've never tried this, um, no animals were harmed in the making of this vlog. If Apparently, if you turn on the heat underneath the frog, so the story goes, the frog will just let itself boil to death. Um, and, you know, the self-help analysis of like, what's going on in the mind of the frog that it never jumps out is, well, it's never that much hotter than it was a second ago, you know? Um, it's like, oh, gee, it's kind of hot. Well, it's, you know, not that much hotter than it just was, right? And so that's the equivalent of heart disease. COVID is being thrown into a, a, a bucket of boiling water and just jumping out because it's really, really hot, right? So we got hit with COVID and all of a sudden uh, there was this horribly scary threat of imminent death, right? Um, but meanwhile, we're just sort of boiling to death with all the other things that we're dying of, which are to the tune of, like I said, the ones that are, you know, mitigatable by uh, impacting our, changing our diet and lifestyle, 2.6 million deaths a year that we just turn a blind eye to. Um, and so what I'm thinking is having greater shared responsibility for the norms that impact ourselves, our health, and other people's health would be really awesome in the same way that we did with smoking, right? Smoking was super normalized as a behavior in the 1940s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And then in the mid 60s, something shifted. And since the mid 60s, smoking behavior has been uh, decreasing dramatically to the point where fewer than half as many people as used to smoke, smoke now. And our shared norms of expected treatment of smoking have changed dramatically. It's no longer normalized that people get to smoke um, in public places, anywhere they want, um, on buses, on trains, in restaurants, on airplanes, um, you know, 
in someone's living room if you're over to their house for dinner, right? You wouldn't just pull out a cigarette and light it up in their kitchen. Um, but that used to be normalized behavior back in the day. And I want to um, propose a starting place for changing our norms around food consumption and sugar consumption in particular. And I think it ideally needs to start with our kids and how we think about feeding our kids. Because um, it's really hard to feed kids as a parent. I'm speaking from experience. It's really hard to raise good eaters in our current, um, you know, food as entertainment, food as comfort, um, sugar as an entitled expected thing at any good enough event with good food there. Um, kids menus in restaurants, um, the expected foods at birthday parties. And also because kids are among the most vulnerable among us, right? I know that in COVID, we've really started to think about who's vulnerable and how can we make sure to protect them? How can we make sure to care about um, someone who's got chronic health conditions or someone who's older than a certain age and so forth? This idea of protecting and caring about the health of the most vulnerable among us, I think is an interesting thought experiment. And when it comes to diet and lifestyle, the most vulnerable among us are kids often, right? The ones who are just learning how to feed themselves responsibly. And so one thing I would love is if people thought about the notion of consent when it comes to feeding kids. I was in a restaurant with all my kids I don't know, a few months ago. And I guess from afar, the um, manager on duty saw us at our table and thought that our kids were cute. And they brought over um, bags, like big bags, one for each of my kids stuffed to the gills with candy. No asking of me or my husband, just just brought them over with smiles and adoration. And our kids accepted these bags of candy. Now we're talking about like enough candy that each of my kids could have had five pieces of candy a day for a month and a half, <laughs> like a lot of candy. And suddenly, um, David and I were in the position of, you know, needing to decide what to do about this. Like it was, a, you know, the kids thought it was amazing and delightful. David and I were kind of horrified because uh, we don't let our kids eat that much candy, mainlining it every day, as you can imagine. Um, and from my perspective in that situation, what was missing is the notion of consent. You know, may I, how would you feel if, right, if the manager had pulled me or my husband aside and said, you know, I'd love to offer your kids something sweet. I would have said, you know, do you have any oranges in the back? Like my kids love oranges. Could you cut up an orange and bring it for each of my kids? They would be so over the moon happy. That is actually what we ended up doing. I just, I just, um, uh, rounded up those bags, brought them back to the manager, asked if there were any oranges and she cut up an orange for each of my kids. Uh, and after a moment's disappointed, disappointment, the kids were fine. I think they kind of knew that that wasn't going to uh, fly. Um, but, you know, more recently, we've we've had to actually a little bit before that we pulled our kids, our girls out of Girl Scouts entirely because every time they would go to an event, they would come home with some sort of bucket of candy and the wrangling of, you know, my kids felt that they owned it now. It was theirs and that I was like stealing from them to take this candy. But um, it, it was a big imposition. It would have been one thing if they went to the Girl Scout event and they got fed a bunch of candy while they were there. 
but sending it home with them creates this situation where the parent is now saddled with the job of deciding whether it's okay, metering it out, whatever. Uh, it's a big imposition, right? With no consent, no form of like, uh, we plan to feed your kids sugar, is that okay? Uh, how do you feel about that? So I feel like as parents are raising kids and thinking about it, and as a society, as we're thinking about how we feed ourselves, how we orient toward food in relation to the most vulnerable among us, right? One third of current white kids are gonna grow up to be diabetic uh, by midlife, and half of current um, black and brown kids are gonna grow up to be diabetic by midlife. Mega, mega, mega problem leading to leg amputation, blindness, um, and almost certain like two thirds chance of dying of a heart attack uh, relatively shortly thereafter. Um, as we think about how we orient toward the moral responsibility of our current shared norms around eating, creating those outcomes in those little human beings' lives and the burden of responsibility on the back of parents who are paying attention and who, or aren't maybe, right? And um, are raising kids who are going to be facing that kind of health challenge in just, you know, a short span of years. We could really be thinking about the lessons that we are learning from COVID. You know, sugar consumption is down right now. What do you think? Is it gonna stay down when things open all the way back up? I don't know. Are we paying enough attention to the meta lessons that are present for us in how we've oriented toward this current pandemic? That uh, in essence, we've made a collective statement that we actually really do care about people's health and that uh, people dying too young and in pain um, from something that is preventable through just some collective action is, you know, uh, not okay with us to just, you know, let them die. And yet that's what we've been doing, boiling to death slowly, degree by degree, because it's never that much hotter than it was just a second ago. And we continue to ignore the top factors that are killing us too young and in pain right underneath our nose. So I invite us all to think a little bit more about consent with kids and the most vulnerable among us. And could we over the next couple decades take our collective eating habits of eating processed food anywhere, anytime for entertainment, for comfort and make it go the way of smoking? Still legal, still among us. And yet uh, with a whole different set of shared social norms governing the when, the how, the why and the marketing and pushing of it onto the most vulnerable among us. That's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.